Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the LeanZone.com podcast. Today, we have the amazing Peter Zalewski. How are you doing, Peter? Alex, I, would, I don't know if I'm amazing, but thank you. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about the market in South Florida, and you're going to tell everyone that listens to this podcast, should they be worried or not? So tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll get right into the details. Sure, absolutely. Name is Peter Zalewski, originally from Chicago, got to Miami in 1993, back in the day when they were killing tourists at rest stops. And what I've seen during that course of time is that history keeps repeating itself in South Florida, especially Miami. And um, I was a journalist, did that for 13 years. Also have done real estate uh, full-time for another 13 years or so. So basically I have a good perspective about um, you know South Florida and what goes on in the real estate world. Well, you are being very modest. So for, <laughs> for, for many years, you were keeping, and probably still are, detailed stats on the market of condos in South Florida, right? That's right. Um, I was a journalist for a number of years, as mentioned. I used to do a lot of investigative reporting, so I learned how to use public records in order to create what today they would call big data. And effectively, for you know, 25 years, been collecting big data, primarily on condominiums, uh, east of Interstate 95 in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. And our information is used for expert witness work, consulting, um, I gave a presentation in February to the Federal Reserve Bank of, um, uh, of Atlanta's Miami branch. So I was out there in Durrell speaking to all these bankers about what to um, expect sort of coming down the pike. So yeah, yeah, some people sort of listen to what we have to say. They don't, not necessarily a lot of them like us, but the people tend to listen. All right, so Peter, give it to us. Give it to us straight. So uh, should we be nervous? We as contractors, right? So we're builders. Okay. Uh, you know, so we can only build what yep. a developer wants to build. That's right. So, should we? What What should we be expecting? Let's call it six months, twelve months, sure, twenty four months out. So, if I were a contractor and I'm not, or if I were advising a contractor, which I'm not, I would tell them to try to get as much cash up front as possible. Um, what we are seeing is that a lot of things that are uh, announced and proposed and are likely going to change the world and are going to be just spectacular. At the end of the day, they're not necessarily playing out. So um, I wouldn't give that letter of credit, or I wouldn't give too much credit too far down the line, because a lot of projects, for the most part, are going to be put on the wayside, go by the wayside. They're going to be put on hold for the time being. Let me give you perspective about cycles. Cycles are typically seven to 10 years. So coming out of the Great Recession cycle, that began in 03 down here with condos in South Florida, peaked in 06, seven started to go sideways, nine bottom, 10 was cleaned up. So by 2011, we started building again. Well, here we are in 2019. We're very, very, very late in this cycle. Many of the projects that were announced have gotten constructed. Some of them that began construction are sort of stalling or they're building kind of slowly. They're hoping to sort of do their variety of different things. Then you have spec builders coming in, primarily foreign nationals who think that uh, Miami's the greatest place that they can imagine. And they are deciding to build um, on speculation that they can sell them, but they're also trying to chisel down contractors to get a cheaper price on labor because there's not as much work on the street because the, the whole big push has kind of made its way through the system. So you kind of have all these variety of scenarios playing out. But in terms of what does the future look like? Well, I would tell you for the next two to three years, say take us into 2022, 2023, you're looking at a distressed market where people are gonna be trying to get out uh, at a price in which they paid. Many of them are gonna probably have to lose money in order to get out. And then by the time we get into 22, 23, you'll probably start to see new construction. New construction will probably be pegged to 
condo development sites, which were announced right now, where maybe some of your contractor um, uh, clients had gone out and bid on jobs. They thought they were going to be able to do it because the developer who was out of town had no experience, had these rosy ideas. Chances are that's going to be developed in a few years and will probably be developed by someone else who actually buys the dirt and decides to build. It's not politically correct to say, but there's a saying that the first settler gets the arrow, the second one gets the land. And this is a scenario now where if you go places like Little Haiti and elsewhere, you're going to see people have come in, paid top dollar for dirt, thought they were going to get it entitled and everything was going to keep rocking and rolling. Lo and behold, as that market goes sideways, it becomes a, a burden to hold the cost of the land and figure out what the hell you're going to do with it. There's only so many windwood yards you can basically create by taking a vacant piece of dirt, bringing in some roach coaches or i.e. food trucks and selling beer where you can actually generate money. Most of this dirt is just going to sit vacant and sit vacant for a number of years. So that creates opportunities for distressed buyers. So, you know, not, so, that, so not, not, not that I'm one to disagree with you, yeah. but in talking to a lot of local contractors, mm -hmm. uh, there's not much left in 2019. Everyone is, is slammed nice. for 2019. What are and, they building? Mostly rentals? No, so some rentals, hotels, uh, condos. Condos, um, interesting. They're I, building it in Dade or they're building it in Broward and Palm Beach? Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. I mean, it's a, it's a nice mix, but everyone seems pretty bullish. Okay. Um, and everyone's getting paid? So far. Okay. Uh, I mean, not everybody, but most people. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so uh, they're pretty bullish through 2020, meaning nice. that they have they have a pretty solid backlog. Okay. Um for work that should either start uh, at some point in 2020. Yep. So no one that I've talked to is is too nervous about 2020. And there's a, by the way, there's a fair number of announcements of big buildings that seem to be happening, meaning they are coming out of the ground now. Okay. So what are your thoughts on like the when someone is going to start to feel the slowdown? Because again. I guess maybe it's possible that these people think they're going to start a job in 2020, but it actually never starts. Okay, so so let me sort of give you some context. And the only thing I specialize in is vertical residential. Okay. So if you're talking single family um, uh, infill development, couldn't tell you. Don't really care because houses are like works of art. They're all unique and special. And it's easier to sell a house, one-off house, than it is the 400 units in a condominium building and an average condominium building. So. And then on the rental side, I would say the rental market was really flowing. It actually surpassed what was going on on the condo side. Why? Because banks were not willing to fund a condo because they basically get their asses handed on the last go around. So what they did is they said, we're not going to fund a condo with financing. We will go the route of a rental tower. Why? People aren't getting mortgages. People, their credit's in trouble. So they're renting. Rents are going through the roof. So that is the, the, the message that's on the street. So banks went out. They financed rentals because they thought rents were going to go up and up and up. Well, it doesn't take too much except the car, or maybe like my case, when I don't have a car, paying attention while you're in the back of an Uber, and you look up and you see signs going up. I'm seeing signs on rental towers that are brand new, just come through. They're offering three months free rent if you sign a lease. Right. You sign a 12-month lease, they're going to give you three months free. Now, granted, what they're going to do is they're going to play with the numbers. They're going to get you in at a higher rent, but right. when you blend it out for the three months free, your rent is actually less. So they need to make make sure they're taking care of the bank, telling the bank to bring in what they're bringing in. But in reality, you as the end user, much different scenario. So what does that do? That creates downward pressure on individual condo owners. These people back in 11, 12, 13, who came in from Argentina, Brazil, whatever, they had a strong currency against the dollar and they bought cheap real estate. So they went in and they started renting and they're renting and renting and they're making money. 
back in 09, at the bottom of the last cycle in downtown Miami, median rental price was about a buck fifty a foot. Today it's about two forty three, two forty four. So basically, if you just stood firm for ten years, you made more and more money every particular year. That's because rents were going up, which triggered the boom, which triggered all the rental. Now that the stuff is coming online, there's a there's a race to the bottom to try to get it filled. You want a perfect example? Drive yourself out to, and you're in this beautiful office space overlooking Biscayne Bay. I see the Port of Miami. I see the Carnival Cruise Lines, Norwegian. I see it all. American Airlines Arena, Freedom Tower. Drive out to Midtown. All right, so in Midtown, you're going to be on 29th Street, which is the southern border. Okay. border. You're going to have 36th Street, which is the north. This cycle, since 11, within that seven-block stretch, they put up somewhere in the vicinity of 2,300 new units. 2,300. Now, people say Midtown's different than what they're calling Edgewater. Okay? So, but I will tell you, if you're on 29th and you walk east, yeah. walk east to the bay, you're gonna you're gonna cross over Biscayne Boulevard. Okay. As soon as you get in there, you're gonna get in there a project that's called Paraiso. Oh, sure. Four towers, about 1,400 units. Correct. Now you're telling me it takes 10 minutes to walk from one point to the other, but these are separate markets. One you have 2,300 units, the other one you have 1,400 units, and then you look at all the other stuff sprinkled in and around. The end of the day, there's too much product. And people aren't making money here to justify the rents that are being paid. So what happens? Landlords start to subsidize, i.e. three months free rent. Start to subsidize the tenant coming in. Race to the bottom occurs. One thing leads to another. Before you know it, the bank's pulling back the financing. So if you were contracting, you're building anything vertical in Dade County. Be careful. That's your message. Be very careful. I'd say south of Fort Lauderdale. International Airport. Okay. Think think of the Tri-County area as the Korean Peninsula. Okay. All right. So north of Fort Lauderdale Airport is like South Korea. It's humming. Why? Domestic economy is still doing well. South of Fort Lauderdale International Airport is like North Korea. It's basically in the doldrums. Why? Because foreign nationals aren't coming in, and if they are coming in, they're not coming in with the same extent and bandwidth that they were last time. Why? A number of different reasons. One, they might not feel welcome based on the current immigration policy. Not to talk politics, but basically, when you have all kinds of immigration stories hitting Spanish language and other language media around the world, is that really a place you want to park your money if you're looking at another five years of maybe not feeling comfortable, right. potentially? So that is one issue. Another issue is the feds. Feds, well, they're slow moving. When they do move, they can be very um, productive. So our cycle, as mentioned, began in 11 down here in South Florida. It's 11, we start building, we start doing a variety of different things, 50% deposits, all this type of stuff. What happens is the feds let everybody run. They give them plenty of rope to hang themselves. Q1 of 2016, they announced a new program. If you buy a, a residential real estate with a million dollars or more without bank financing, i.e. cash, in Manhattan or Dade County, only place in the country, right. they have to figure out who the end user is. So where have they taken it now? Now if you buy, it's advanced, it's Broward County is now included, uh, Palm Beach County is now included, they've now taken it down to 300 grand. Anybody buying anything? This is a this is money laundering. This is a money law anti money laundering effort and right. put in by the feds. So we've had indictments and we've had convictions already in South Florida from money launderers. Some tied to the PDVSA, Venezuelan oil money, Ecuadorian oil money, turning up in some of these condo towers. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is, if you get the the illicit funds out. Who's necessarily going to be able to make the market so frothy? Who's going to come in and pay right. the record amount? Right. And 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 if you are looking to launder cash, is this place you want to launder it? Why not go to Panama? Why not go somewhere else? So what I'm saying is there's a bunch of different factors that have all started to kick in. And if you're looking at a luxury project 
where you're going to put up 180 units and you're going to charge a rock star price, which is two, three, four times more than what the market can justify. So let's let's I mean in in the in the area. Let, let's I mean so we're we're sitting here yep. in downtown. Yep. Right across yep. the the way from us, yep. literally a block away yep. is. The Aston Martin building. You got the Aston Martin down the street. You got Una up the street. You got Missoni. You Correct. have a whole variety. But the, but those are actually happening. Well, those are happening because they're happening on spec. Correct. They do not have sales. So the individual developers, who, by the way, have no experience here, none, are building. And what are they doing? They're pledging their own assets. Beginning of this cycle, a guy did that to get going. His name is Marty Margulies. Mm -hmm. Marty put up something called Bellini Williams Island. What did he do? He pledged artwork. Bank said, okay, artwork's worth stuff. We're going to give you a loan to go ahead and build, even though you got a track record, even though you bought the dirt a while ago, even though you got everything in place. These guys are being forced to pledge, and I don't know what the terms are. They're not building because they have pre-sales. Despite what they tell you, despite what they tell you, they're building on spec because why? They think they can ultimately sell them. And who knows? They might be able to sell them. But let me give you a word of warning to your contractors. Your contractor should know when somebody walks into a pre-sale office, what you're being told isn't necessarily always correct. Let me give you a scenario. If you buy stock or if you pay attention to the stock market and somebody messes up, you got a sheriff intel called the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. If you write a tweet, and you run a, a company that sells electric cars, and you put out a tweet and lo and behold, the SEC, the sheriff can come in and hit you with a $20 million fine and make you give up your chairmanship position. That's possible, like Tesla. Sure. In real estate, if you put out bad intel, you say something as a pre-construction, because think about it, these condos, this is no more than a stock uh, market trading pit. This is a pit, everybody's buying and selling. They're not here for a family for a dog, live an American dream. That's the last thing they want. They want in cheap, out before it crashes, and then they circle back and they come ahead and they do it again. So what I'm telling you is there is no sheriff in town for real estate pre-construction. There is for stocks, but there's not for real estate. Many people take what's told them, uh, told to them, and they run with it, and they they consider it to be the law. I have a I have a buddy who's an attorney, and we were talking about real estate, and and he said something, and I said, I said, you really believe that? He said, yeah, the the realtor told me that. It's you know it's true. I said, no, you have you're a member of the Florida bar, you have to adhere by a certain standard. If someone in the real estate industry tells you bad information, especially if they tell you and it's not in writing. Good luck trying to enforce that. Sure. Good luck trying to make anything. So basically, the, the moral of the story is trade on good information. And the good information you're not going to get from a sales center. And chances are the good information you get from a developer might not be that good after all. So what, what's the word of advice? If it's a newbie coming in, never built here before, I would charge him more and I want a lot more money up front. Right. If it's a veteran who has been here before, I might take a chance on it and you know be a little bit more um, uh, flexible on pricing. But generally speaking, the three ways to, to, to bet at the horse track a lot of this pertains to, I'd say, the, the clients you're going to take on. You can bet the number, because it's your lucky number. You can bet the horse, because it looks beautiful. Or you can bet the jockey, who knows how to get the horse over the finish line. Me, I always want the jockey. I don't care about the number or the horse, because ultimately, somebody's got to get it over the line. And if you were a contractor and you bet wrong, you might be out of luck for quite some time, and you might become a creditor. Yeah, I, it could happen. Unfortunately, what we see here in this market, which I think is similar to most other construction markets, okay. the... Uh, to do big commercial work, yep. you need to do it all on credit. Okay. You 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 don't get really any money up front, um, and you're working 
you, you do a month or two, yep. maybe three months worth of yep. work yep. to get paid. Yep. Uh, so it's hard. It's you know you get protected with lien rights yep. or rights against the contractor's bond if they have one. Yes. But yeah, it's it's a significant credit risk, and it sounds like what you're saying is everyone should be more cautious today than they than they may have needed to be one, two, three years ago. Yeah. I about mean, getting to the finish line on a job and getting paid. It's as simple as this. If you're in this market. You drive around. I mean, somebody gave me this advice a long time ago. They said, you know, I was asking um, uh, a guy I really uh, have, um, you know, a lot of respect for. And I asked him, how do you pick the stocks you use in the stock market? He goes, I look around, what, what am I using? What are my friends using? If they're using it, chances are so are other people. I'm going to buy that stock. Why am I going to buy a stock that doesn't have anything to do with anything? So what I'm telling you is if you are a contractor and you're driving around and you're seeing a rent going for $1,800 to $2,000 a month, and you would never pay that, and you would never let your kid pay that, or you couldn't figure out how your kid could in fact pay that, how is that project gonna make sense? It's right. not gonna make any sense whatsoever. So just be, you know, just think about it. It's all logical. It's all logical. And if something seems out of whack, and it doesn't make sense to you, it's not that it's that complicated, it's that they're hustling. And if you take that message, chances are you're gonna be fine. But yeah, I would be very, very, very cautious right now uh, sometimes it's better to be a little bit more conservative and not take on huge jobs despite what the payoff might look like it could be because ultimately you could be a creditor tied up in bankruptcy court for quite some time. Now, we haven't necessarily seen that thus far. Correct. But give it some time. The one project I can point to was up in uh, Lauder, up in uh, Hollywood. Remember up in Hollywood there was a condo going up called H3? Yes. These guys were trying to build it. They were coming in very cheap. Correct. Newbie developers, never built here before, thought they had everything uh, under wraps, and lo and behold, it all went sideways. Right. Now, I'm not predicting that to the same extent, because many of these condo developers were able to get 50% deposits. Right. But what you're seeing is, and this is kind of what I'm doing right now, I'm working with private equity group, what we're doing is we are looking for blocks of units. Many of these blocks are typically by, purchased by individuals. They came in, they bought two, three, four, five, six, whatever the case may be, and they are basically looking to dump them. Why? Because they want to get in the dollars. They want to get out of real estate, which is not a li liquid, and right. they want to get out, but they came in with foreign money. So oftentimes, they have a scenario where they can sell their condo at a loss. And still be ahead. And still be ahead. Right. Why? Because of currency. Right. Perfect example is Canadians. Canadians back in the day, they're in the Great Recession. The Canadian dollar, the loonie, was on par with the U.S. dollar. So you walked in with a Canadian dollar into Miami. You went down to um, Abbott Currency Exchange or whatever, one of these little ones right there by Ceviche uh, uh, 105. Yeah. And they would give you, generally speaking, they give you a, a dollar U.S. for a dollar Canadian. You walk in there today with, with a Canadian dollar, you're getting 72 cents, maybe 70 cents. So what does that mean? That's 30% buying power you've lost or you've gained. Right. So I can sell my condo at a 30% loss and I can still break even. Now that's fine uh, for you, the Canadian who's doing this, but if you're the US person who bought in dollars and is staying in dollars and all of a sudden people start cutting bait 30% less, why? Because they got the currency, what does that do to the comparables? What it does is it kills them, much like Tetris, and prices start to fall, and this is where everything goes sideways. So remember, there's not a problem until there's a problem. And when that problem hits... It's already too late. It's already too late. So so let's do this, Peter, yep. because I have a feeling there you're going to get a lot of emails from this from this podcast. Yeah, people don't necessarily always um, agree with what I say, but you know. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if uh, they want to send you hate mail? 
Well, yeah, hate mail. I love hate mail, by the way. Love okay. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get a lot of it. I was in a Michael Moore movie 10 years ago. I still get messages. Capitalism, a love story. So, yeah, check check that out. That came out 10 years ago uh, this month. Wow. So, um, no, the best way to reach me is I started with Condo Vultures, was flying that flag during the crash. 2011, when the boom began, I started flying the flag crane spotters, which was much more positive. Mm -hmm. And now I've reverted back to condo vultures. Yeah, not so, a good sign for all of us. <laughs> not a good sign. You know, and I'm looking out here. I'm not seeing any vultures yet. They should be coming down. Oh, yeah, there, there's a vulture in the That's distance. Right. Yeah, is. winter's coming, so the vultures are back in the sky. So you can get me at uh, peter at condovultures.com is the uh, email address. I'm around. I got all the social media going there. And um, and you got a podcast coming out. I'll be coming out with a podcast. It's going to be titled Miami Condo Cartel. Okay. And it's going to be dealing with the inner workings of what's actually going on behind the scenes uh, in the condo market, whether you're an individual buyer or just somebody who likes to pay attention to some of um, Miami's nuances. I like, to, I like to compare Miami's condo market much to the movie Gangs of New York, if you've ever seen that, with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> sure. Where basically, they're creating a brand new city, and all you got all these knife fights going on by different, you know, warlords, effectively. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what Miami's condo market's like. So, Miami Condo Cartel will be a um, podcast that's going to look into sort of like the, you know, behind the scenes, give you a glimpse of what's really going on versus what the marketing, the glossy marketing is telling you. All right, so we're going to have to end on a high note. Because you, you haven't I, given us any good news. I was hoping oh, I, for I've good news. I've given you plenty of good news. I don't know about that. <laughs> if you're a buyer, there's plenty of good I news. I guess that's true. <laughs> and All if right. you're a seller, refinance and get as, you know get as much debt as you can. Tie it in now because you're not going to have a chance to get it later on. So where can I get the best Cuban sandwich in Miami? At least right now. Because I know it's, it may be a, a moving target. Moving target? Well, it depends. If you're shopping for price. Okay. If you're shopping for price... Um, there's a little joint that just opened up on um, 8th Street, right across from the uh, dollar store. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about 8th uh, Street and probably somewhere around maybe 8th and 10th. And, and what what does a Cuban sandwich there go for? Uh, I want to say 450. Oh wow, that is a pretty cheap yeah. Cuban sandwich. Yeah, and it, they do it all up. They do they do it. It's about 450. I'll tell you a little secret. You want a, you want a good deal on a Cuban sandwich? You're gonna laugh at me, but go into Winn Dixie. I thought you were going to say Publix. Uh, Publix like is too expensive. Publix is double. You, got, you go wow. in Winn-Dixie. So here's the hustle of Winn-Dixie. If you go in the Winn-Dixie and you get a full Cuban, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you six bucks. Mm -hmm. Okay? You get a half Cuban, it's two-thirds the size. So it's not really half. And it costs three dollars. If you can get a Cuban sandwich at Winn-Dixie for three bucks, two-thirds the size of a large one. So wow. if anything, buy two halves right. in effect you're getting one and a half wow <laughs> look at that okay see you've redeemed yourself thank you at least thank for you. the at least for the hungry folks that like a cuban sandwich at least for the hungry folks but but, but listen at, at the end of the day miami always bounces back it does and it seems it seems to bounce back faster than the rest of the country it's true and if your uber driver is telling you it's a great time to buy real estate uh -huh. chances are you want to be a seller <laughs> that would probably be my parting thought all right. Thanks, Peter. And everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.